Well, Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Brett Milliken, the associate pastor here. Pastor Morgan is in France right now, helping one of our church plants out there. He'll be back next Sunday. And for the very last time, let me welcome our guest to Christ Community Church. As you've heard, next week will be our name change Sunday. We'll officially be becoming Mosaic Church of Austin next week. So hopefully you'll all be back for that, to be a part of that historical moment in the history of this, this church. And it's a storied history, so come be a part of that. Today we're going to finish our two-week series called Why the Answer is a Mystery. I'm going to be talking today about the mystery of God's voice. So let's pray as we get started. Father, we invite your presence in with us today. God, we thank you for this new year. Thank you for your graciousness and your mercy that would come and be with us, your people. Thank you for speaking to our hearts through music and sound. We're asking now that you would till up the soil in our hearts and prepare our minds to receive your word. The Holy Spirit, you would come to anoint and speak through every word that I say, that, Lord, it would go into our hearts to transform us, to change us, to conform us more to the image of your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, last week, Morgan preached what I thought was just a, an amazing message on the mystery of the Trinity, of the triune nature of who God is. But today, I want to take it a step further, because you know, after hearing an, an amazing message like that last week, the, I think the tendency of the human heart is to take that message and file it away as just helpful information about God without it actually transforming and developing into a relationship with God. And so today, I want to look at what God's desire in the knowledge of who He is, that Him revealing Himself in His triune nature through that message last week was, is more than just to, to improve our intellectual standing and our knowledge of who God is. It's actually designed in men, I know Morgan's purpose in preaching it, is to bring us into a deeper intimacy in our walk with God. And so J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, put it this way, he said, our aim in studying the Godhead must be to know God himself better. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. We must seek in studying God to be led to God. In other words, it's not enough simply to have a concept of God. The purpose of that concept is to lead us into a living relationship with him. And what does any healthy relationship involve? Well, communication. All the ladies said. That's right. Communication. But how do we communicate with God? Or perhaps the better question is how does God communicate with us? I'd like to try and answer that question by looking at an event in the life of Elijah today. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, we read this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. 
There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, as we seek to solve this mystery of God's voice, I want to look at three questions out of this passage today. One, I want to look at how does God speak? Number two, when does God speak? And number three, why does God speak? Now, first, how does God speak? Well, honestly, that's kind of a silly question to ask. How does God speak as if he were limited to one or two or three methods or mediums through which he could communicate with us? I mean, God is the creator of the universe. He is sovereign over all of creation, and he is not limited to any one, two, or three means by which he can communicate with us. The Bible is filled with accounts of God speaking to individuals, to families, to nations. He has spoken through a burning bush, a thunderstorm, a donkey, through dreams and visions. He's spoken in many different ways in the past, and he continues to do so today. And the same is true for Elijah. Look, in verse 5, it says, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Now, that word said in that phrase is the word almar, the Hebrew word almar, which literally means to say in one's heart. An angel touches him and speaks, not audibly to his ears, but internally to Elijah's heart and thoughts. It's kind of like when a memory of a conversation passes over your consciousness, and you can remember the words that were said. You can hear them in your head, or it's kind of like this. If you take a moment and just say your own name inside your head, that is Almar. That is what it sounds like when God speaks internally to our heart and to our thoughts. Sometimes it happens through images, like a memory that resurfaces. You can see colors and facial expressions. You may even can remember smells and textures. That's another way God speaks to our hearts. In fact, that's actually how he typically speaks to me, through visions and memories. That is Almar. Verse 9, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Here it is God's word that speaks to Elijah's heart. We have an angel coming to speak to his heart. We have the word coming to speak to his heart. In verse 11, it says, And he, God, said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Here it is God the Father speaking to Elijah's heart. So you have an angel speaking to his heart, the word speaking to his heart, the Father speaking to his heart. And then in verse 12, something completely different takes place. It says, After the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. That phrase, low whisper, is literally translated a thin silence. In other words, after the miraculous power of God passes by, there comes this moment where the atmosphere shifts, it changes, and there's a thin silence that catches Elijah's attention. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, silence? Like, what's the big deal with silence? I've had lots of moments of silence, so it doesn't mean God has ever spoken to me. But this kind of silence is something altogether 
difference. See, this is a kind of silence that can be heard in the midst of the loudest of rooms. In fact, many times on Sunday mornings, while our band is jamming quite loudly, as many of you have commented, that silence enters into many people's hearts and the presence of God is felt. It speaks to us in a way that noise never can. See, I've experienced this in the middle of conversations I've had with people during times of prayer. See, this kind of silence has very little to do with the absence of sound waves bouncing off your eardrums and everything to do with the knowledge and the the awareness of God's glory and presence in your own heart. It's a moment when you suddenly become aware of the weightiness of God's glory and the fact that that glory has just entered the room. So I believe that's actually why it's translated as low whisper, because though it is a silence, it's a kind of silence that can be heard within the quietness and the stillness of the human heart. So we have an angel speaking to Elijah's heart. You have the word speaking to Elijah's heart. You have God the Father speaking to Elijah's heart. Then you have this low whisper, this, this thin silence that catches Elijah's attention and attention speaks to him the presence of God. And then in verse 13, God switches it up again. It says, behold, there came a voice. Now, this word voice is the Hebrew word kol. And it literally means something that can be heard with the ear. This is the only reference in the entire passage of an audible sound coming from God to Elijah. So what's my point? Simply this. God can speak to us audibly. But he seems to speak to us more often through Almar than he does through Cole. Many people have told me, I've never heard God speak to me. But what they actually mean is I've never heard the audible voice of God. When I start asking them questions about why they've done certain things or when they've done certain things, they quickly realize God has actually spoken to them quite often. It's just through the internal voice rather than the external audible voice. I encourage you today, if you've never heard the audible voice of God, you're in good company. God sometimes, oftentimes, speaks to us in our hearts. Now, that's how God's voice sounds, but through what means does God speak to us? Well, again, let's look at our passage. We see, number one, that God speaks to us through others. Now, the first time God's message comes to Elijah is through the physical touch and the voice of an angel. Now, angels are created beings, spiritual beings. They're actually messengers who are God's representatives that we see all through Scripture. And I believe God still sends angels today to, message, to send his message and to minister to us. A few years ago, my mom and stepdad were in a pretty bad car accident where they were driving down a highway and out in the middle of the country, just surrounded by nothing but farmland. Lost control, the roads were wet, went off into a ditch. The SUV they were in flipped over on its side. My stepdad climbed out of the driver's side, went around to try and help my mom as she was stuck down on the passenger side. Out of nowhere, this man appears, puts his hand on my stepdad's shoulder and says, don't worry, your wife will be fine. This man, this is my God's honest, my mom's eyewitness account, grabs the SUV and flips it back over on all four wheels by himself. My stepdad runs around the other side of the car to check on my mom to make sure she's okay. When he looks up to say thank you to this stranger who appeared out of nowhere, the dude is nowhere to be seen. Completely vanished. Yeah, you can clap for that, man. God, thank God for rescuing my mom. There are times when God still sends his angels to minister to us. 
to deliver his message to us. But honestly, more often than sending angels, he sends other believers. People who communicate God's touch and God's love and the way they lovingly serve us and walk through us through the difficult times and rejoice through us through our celebrations. Honestly, that's one of the main purposes of our community groups here is that we could be the, the vessel through which God's voice is delivered to one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to, to be messengers of God in the lives of one another and to the life of this city. Secondly, we see that God speaks to us through his physical provision. Look at what the angel came to do. He tells Elijah what? Rise and eat. Now, this is actually an amazing reality here that I think we miss oftentimes because Elijah in this moment is severely depressed and terrified for his life. So he had just experienced his greatest victory in his ministry career by defeating Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. And he's thinking in his mind, oh, it's on now. Israel, the nation of Israel is going to repent. They're going to come back to Yahweh, the one true God. Jezebel's done. She's going to be killed. We're going to rise up in victory. And instead of nationwide repentance, Elijah is met with death threats. Jezebel saying, I'm going to take you down. The nation of Israel calling out for his blood because he's disrupted the worship of the false god Baal in their lives. So Elijah quits the ministry. He asks God to take his life. He lies down and waits to die. Elijah in this moment is done. And how does God respond? He sends an angel to bake him a cake and give him some water. See, I think far too often we forget this aspect of God's love and his ability to speak to us through the physical provision he provides for us. See, I think we compartmentalize life. We we tend to think in our minds there's spiritual life and there's material life. And if I really want to get close to God and I really want to be spiritual, I really want to hear God's voice, then I've got to deny the material. I can't enjoy anything material. I've got to isolate myself and just be super spiritual. God, Yahweh, is the God of all creation. Not just spiritual, but material also. And he knows, man, sometimes what we need more than a loud, thunderous voice is a good night's sleep and a warm meal. And God reaches down to Elijah and he reaches out to us and he touches us through the physical provision. Listen, let me encourage you. Don't be so quick to ignore or pass by all that God has provided for you. Let the job that you work, the food that you eat, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the house you live in, let all of those things remind you and be reminders of the goodness of God, that there's a God in heaven who owns and knows all about you, who created all things, who just so happens to be a loving father who reaches down and cares for you and provides for you in your time of need. So are you struggling today? Depressed? Anxious? Fearful? Feeling isolated and alone? The fact that you live in a place, have a roof over your head, food on your table, clothes on your back, is God's continual voice crying out to you and saying, I have not forsaken you. I have not left you. I am providing for you because I love you. Let that physical provision be God's voice in your life. Thirdly, he speaks to us through his son, Jesus. That phrase, the angel of the Lord, is an Old Testament reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. In other words, the Son of God, before he took on flesh, would come down out of heaven to meet with people, to talk to people, to direct people. And he does so with Elijah in this passage. But here's the beauty of, of this method of God speaking for you and me. 
See, we're on the other side of the incarnation and the cross. We have something way better than just the pre-incarnated Christ. We have a resurrected Christ. We have a Christ who came to live our life, die our death, and rise again to bring us back into a relationship with himself. And honestly, he is the loudest and most clear message that God has or ever will speak. Colossians 1.15 tells us, he is the image of the invisible God. Romans 5.8 says, God, for God demonstrates his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, not only does Jesus tell us what God is like, he also tells us how much God loves us. But we'll come back to that more in just a minute. Fourthly, he speaks to us through his word. And here, God's word comes and speaks to Elijah's heart. And again, we have an advantage in this one because what God's word spoken to Elijah's heart became God's word written in the pages of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant word of God to all people for all time. And honestly, it's the easiest way that we can hear God's voice. Here's the tricky thing. Angelic beings, they may or may not be carrying God's truth. There are these things called demons that are fallen, corrupt angels, spiritual beings who come to steal and kill and destroy and deceive, even appearing as an angel of light at times. God's material provision can be misconstrued and twisted to develop this thing called the prosperity gospel that says, man, if God's really blessing you, you got a fat crib, a fancy car, a big ring, a fat paycheck, and if you don't, well, then something must be wrong with you, as Dave said earlier. See, all these other mediums, in fact, that I'm talking about today, all the methods I'm talking about today can be misconstrued or, or deceptive in the way we interpret what they are. But the Word of God is written down, and it is the capital T truth by which all other lower T truth claims must be weighed and measured. And if you're a person who would say, man, I never hear God speak to me. Let me just politely disagree with you. And say he's given 31,102 verses of communication. Just waiting for you to open them up and hear his voice. See, the Bible has got to be the lens through which we interpret life. Life can't be the lens through which we interpret the Bible. Fifthly, we see that he speaks to us through creation. Now, as Elijah hides in the cave, there come some of the most awesome displays of nature that you could ever experience. There's a hurricane, an earthquake, this massive firestorm that's destroying a mountain. Displays of the sheer power of nature. But to Elijah and to others, especially David, as we'll see here in a moment, those powerful displays of nature simply serve as a reminder of the majesty and splendor of the one who holds nature in the palm of his hands. Psalm 8, 3 through 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you would care for him? See, David in writing this is looking to the creation of God and is reminded that God is magnificent in his creation simultaneously he's humbled by the fact that this magnificent creator would care enough to glorify us as his people sixthly we see that God speaks to us through his presence 
See, God has a way of speaking to us just at the sheer presence of his glory. Again, this is the low whisper, the thin silence. See, when his spirit enters the room, things change. And you can't help but notice. Now, you may dismiss it as something you ate. You may think it's just some form of emotionalism. And honestly, look, that happens. Now, I know there's been lots of times, lots of meetings and gatherings I've been in where the guy on stage is trying to stir up your emotions to make it feel like God's doing something. But it's more because he wants something out of you rather than something for you. But again, that's why we have to know the word of God to be able to measure and weigh those kinds of moments. But God does speak to us through his presence. Now, all I can tell you is this. When God's presence comes into your life, not only do you know it, but you're humbled and awestruck by who he is. Remember one morning back in 2004, when I was praying for my, my then four-month-old daughter, Kylie, and I was in our little, the office room we had in the house, and just praying that God would, would not let any calamity befall my little princess, that he would keep her safe, that he wouldn't let death come to her, or sickness, or plague, or disease. And in the midst of that prayer, I suddenly became aware of a thin silence. And I hit my knees because I knew God's presence was in the room. And as I hit my knees, I heard in my heart, Almar, the voice of God say, and what if I do? What if I allow something to happen to your little girl? Would you stop loving me? Would you stop worshiping me? Would you cease to be mine? And in that moment, man, I found myself in a conundrum because I knew what God was, was really asking me. Do you love me more than you love your daughter? And to me, it was a fork in the road because I'm thinking, if I say, no, you can't touch her, then I'm denying God, which I know I can't do. If I say, yes, you can, then I'm giving him permission to allow something to happen to her, which I don't want to happen. And I sat there wrestling and fighting in the presence of God for 30 minutes with tears streaming down my face. I finally said, yes, God, I would still worship you. I would still love you. I would not like it. I would not be happy about it. But I would trust you because I know you are good. I know you are loving. I know all of your ways are perfect. And though it may not make sense to me, I trust your glory will be made known. So what God was really doing in that moment was prying the idol out of my heart. See, I had put my daughter in a place where she was my source of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And that was a weight that would have crushed her and would have destroyed my relationship with her as she got older. I'm so glad God did that. Because the moment I said, yes, God, I would worship you still, my heart was set free to love my daughter for who she is. And not demand her to be something she was never designed to be. See, what I didn't realize in that moment was that God was also preparing my heart to hear him clearly through the last method that we'll look at, number seven, through our circumstances. So this one is the one we tend to like the least because the circumstances through which God tends to speak most clearly are the painful ones. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, he said this, we can ignore pleasure. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, 
which shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, what I didn't realize the morning that God confronted me in my idolatry was less than a year later, Melissa would be pregnant again. And 11 weeks into that pregnancy, we would lose the baby. Miscarriage. I wanted to be angry at God. I wanted to shake my fist at the heaven. But that conversation from a year earlier continued to replay itself in my mind. That I loved this baby more than I loved God. And because God had already delivered me from that idolatry in my heart, I was actually able to hear his voice come to me very, very clearly. In the midst of that pain, God spoke to me and he said, my heart is breaking too because death was never part of my design. And now you know more intimately what I was willing to go through and endure to redeem my people and to set things right again in the loss of my own son. You know my heart now, Brett. You know the heart of a loving father. And all that did not take away the pain, and it did not soothe the sorrow, but it redeemed it. And it brought purpose rushing into that pain. And it brought my wife and me into a much more deeper and intimate relationship with our creator. That pain was God's voice speaking loud and clear to our hearts. So those are some of the ways through which God's voice comes to us. But the next question is just as important. When does God speak? Well, let's look back at the passage. What creates the space for God's voice to come to Elijah? Again, he's running for his life. He's depressed. He's dejected. He thought the nation was going to repent and turn at the amazing display of God's power. And instead, it was death threats. It was anger. If we look in the previous chapter, in 1 Kings 18, we see this about that encounter. It says, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, And they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal, that from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. See, Elijah is boasting in pride. At these prophets, he's basically just trash-talking the prophets of Baal. Now, here's the problem with that. Just a few verses earlier, God had told Elijah to go show himself to King Ahab, and God would send rain. That's all he said. He said, hey, just go show yourself to King Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. But Elijah takes it a step further. Elijah steps out in front of God and says, man, I'm going to dog King Ahab. I'm going to dog Jezebel. I'm going to challenge them to a spiritual death match and show them, man, my God is the one true God. That's not what God told him to do. See, and Elijah, in his pride and in his boasting and and thinking, man, I'm going to single-handedly call the nation back to repentance through the display of God's glory. He had missed what God had called him to do. And in his pride, it wasn't repentance that followed, it was anger and death threats. And Elijah now comes to the most distressing, most despairing, most humbled moment in his entire life. And it's there that God's voice comes to him. You want to know the answer to the question of when God speaks? Well, God speaks when we realize how desperate we truly are for him to do so. 
See, when life is good and we feel like we're in control and everything's going great, we tend to push God to the margins of our hearts. I mean, sure, we'll throw him a bone. We'll thank God for the victory of the game or for the promotion, and, and we'll, we'll tip our hat to him. But if we're honest, we're not depending on him. We're not crying out to him. We're not desperate for him to speak to our hearts. But watch us when life goes awry, when things don't go as planned, when we recognize we're not in control. We cry out to him to change our circumstances, to to give us an answer as to why he would allow such a thing to happen. See, it's in recognizing our own weakness that we become painfully aware of how desperate we are for God to speak. And that's when we can hear him most clearly. It was true for Elijah. It's true for you. It's true for me. The key, however, is to walk in such a way, in such a kind of humility before circumstances get us there. We must recognize our complete and total need for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in our lives as it is in heaven, which brings us to the last question. Why does God speak? Well, why does God do anything? It's for the purpose of his own glory. Romans eleven thirty six states this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What does this word glory mean? It literally means weightiness, heaviness, preeminence. In other words, all of creation, especially you and me, are designed to point to how awesome and magnificent God is. We're meant to reflect his beauty, his truth, his love, his justice, his righteousness, his creativity. That is what Genesis means when it says we're made in the image and likeness of God. That our design is to be vessels through which the world can see the majesty and glory of God more clearly. Like the picture on the front of a puzzle box. We're meant to show the world what God's intention really looks like. But does that make God an egomaniac? Is he just someone who needs us to make him feel more important? Is God stuck on himself? Well, let me ask you this question. Who else would you want God to be stuck on? Because whoever that is, they would then become God because they would supersede the glory of God when they become more weighty than God himself. Secondly, if God is indeed perfect, if he is the very essence of love, the very essence of truth, the very essence of justice, if he is kind and gracious and merciful, slow to anger, compassionate, if he is all of those things, then for him to want that reproduced throughout creation is not only for his glory, but it's actually for mine and your greatest joy. I mean, if, if love is a sacrificial commitment made on one on behalf of another, then for love himself to say, reproduce this, is the most selfless act the universe has ever known. And for you or me to live for any other pers- purpose actually makes us egomaniacs, not God. See, if you and I are made not only to experience that love, but to reflect that love to the rest of creation, then what else are we going to do? And if we do anything else, that desire will always fall short of the promised fulfillment that it swears to deliver. And that is the true ugliness of sin. Lewis, again, in Mere Christianity, says this, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol. That's gasoline for those of us on this side of the pond. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. 
That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. Now, why do I bring up this whole glory thing? Because of this simple reality. The only way a person becomes the most important relationship in your life is through a deeper knowledge of who they are. I mean, think about it. Who are the most important relationships in your life today? It's the people you're most intimately acquainted with, the ones you know the most about, right? It's the ones who have shared their dreams and their fears and their desires with you and who you have shared your dreams and fears and desires with as well. See, the more intimate you are with a person, the more weight or preeminence they carry in your life. And how do we grow an intimate knowledge of someone? Through spending time in communication with them. It's the people who we spend the most time with that carry the most weight in our lives. And it is for this purpose that God speaks to us, to reveal himself to us in a way that we might grow in our knowledge of and intimacy with him. To the end result that he becomes the weightiest, most glorified person in our lives. Why does God speak to us? To gain glory. That we might grow in our knowledge and intimacy with him. But here's the real mystery. So that's how God speaks, when God speaks, and why God speaks. But let me close with this one final thought. As I was working on this sermon, I, I got to this end point here, and I was, I was actually pretty satisfied, pretty happy with the way it was going. I mean, it's going to be pretty good. At least I hope it is. But then I was suddenly hit with this thought regarding relationships and communication. So I do a lot of marriage counseling here at, at the church. And what I've seen is a common reality in pretty much every marriage I've ever counseled, and in my marriage as well, is this. When one person hurts the other, the natural tendency is to withdraw from one another, and a cold silence tends to follow. So that feeling of having something taken from us or feeling robbed causes us to withhold intimacy, not give it. And here's the thought that hit me. If that's true for our human relationships, how much more true true is it when we creatures offend our creator so isaiah 59 2 says but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your god and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear the word separation literally means to withdraw from in other words our sin has caused god to withdraw from us in other words the relationship has been fractured communication has been cut off So as amazing as it is to look at how God speaks, when God speaks, and why God speaks, the real question is this. How is it even possible for sinful, rebellious humans to hear the voice of a perfect, holy God in the first place? Well, the answer is actually right here in our passage. Go back to verse 11 and 12 in 1 Kings 19. It says, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks that before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Did you catch it? The Lord passes by, and in his wake leaves these destructive forces that would have torn Elijah apart if he had been standing out in the open. But Elijah wasn't in the open, was he? No, he was hidden in the rock. See, the rock took the blow. The rock was broken into pieces. And after the destruction has passed, Elijah is able to come out into the open to hear the still, small voice of God speaking to his heart. So how are you and I able to hear the voice of a holy, righteous God? 
Because centuries after Elijah's encounter, there would come another rock. Jesus, the Son of God. Who would not only come to live our life and die our death, but he would take the full brunt, the full force of God's destructive wrath for our sin in our place so that you and I could come out of that destructive force and hear the still small voice of God speaking to our hearts. See, Jesus hung on the cross, and as he hung there, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, God withdrew from the Son so that he could come in pursuit of you and me. He was silent to Jesus so that you and I could hear his voice today. And that is the ultimate answer to the mystery of God's voice. Can you hear him calling out to you today? Wanting to speak to your heart and reveal himself to you in a more intimate way. If not, then here's my charge to you as we close. How does that answer, how does that that become a reality in our lives? Well, number one, you've got to trust in the rock. It's nearly impossible to hear God if you have not been reconciled back to him in relationship. You have to turn away from living life in the pursuit of our own selfish desires for our own glory. Maybe even just pursuing religious obligations. And receive this amazing gift of grace by confessing Jesus as both Lord and Savior. When we close here in a moment, we'll have people up here at front to pray with you if you want to do that. Number two, you need to know God's Word. You need to get into the habit of reading your Bible regularly. Every day, you need to be taking time to let God speak to you through the Bible. We have resources here that can help you with that. Thirdly, you have to spend time in God's presence. Listen, you will not hear God's voice if you're not making time in your schedule where he has your undivided attention. Let me ask you this. Is there a place in your daily schedule set apart for God alone? Or do you just try to fit him in in the little gaps here and there? Are we spending time in worship and prayer on a regular basis? Fourthly, you need to do life with God's people. It's one of the best ways that God can speak to us is through other believers, through gospel community. Listen, God loves you so much that he has surrounded you with a bunch of people who see your blind spots better than you do. Right? Who can point out the errors and the deceptions, who can come alongside you and rejoice with you in times of celebration and suffer with you in times of mourning. Listen, if you're not in the community group here at Christ Community Church or Mosaic next week, let me encourage you. Fill out one of those connection cards. Drop it in that brown box on your way out. And let us know that you need to get connected to a community group. You need to get plugged into a group of people who can be the vessels through which God speaks to you, through which God leads you, through which God encourages you, through which God demonstrates his love for you. And my prayer for us in 2015 is that we would be this kind of a church, this kind of a people. Don't just show up on a Sunday to get our religious fix on. Don't just open up our Bible or go to church meetings and things to check it off our religious to-do list. Do earnestly, passionately, intimately seek to hear the voice of God. I believe God has amazing things in store for us in 2015. It's going to take us setting time and making time and being intentional to sit and listen to the still small whisper of God calling us out of the chaos and out of the fear and out of the anxiety and saying, no, 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 I have a word for you. 
Come and listen. Come and listen. Let's pray, and then the band's going to close us out. I want us to take a moment here as we pray and as, as we sing this song. I want to challenge me. I believe I love starting the year by asking God, man, what is your word for me this year? What, what's the word you want to speak into my heart that sets the stage for this upcoming year? What you want to do in my life, through my life, in my family, through my family, in this church, through the church? I believe he's got a word for you. Let's pray. Father, we, oh God, we're humbled. I'm just reminded of the reality that your word tells us in the beginning, you spoke and you said, let there be and there was. And that same voice that spun galaxies into existence longs to speak to us. Who are we that you are mindful of us? And yet the resounding answer you give is, we're your children who've been purchased and bought and adopted by the blood of Jesus. God, I believe you have a word for us as a church and as individuals. I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would come now and that you would enter into this place that the thin silence would begin to fill this atmosphere, begin to invade our hearts as we sing this song. Lord, I'm asking that you would speak directly to us. As each person in this room asks that question, Lord, what is your word for me today? And I pray you would quiet all other voices. You would quiet all other voices that would be speaking things that are not true, speaking things that are deceptive. That you would help us recognize the voice of our shepherd as we enter into your presence now in Jesus' name.